0: Session which we will have the validity address to be delivered by none other than Dr. PTR Palnivel Jagaraj. Dr. Jagaraj, I bring you greetings from my present Ajit Mupan and the Kerala Thai community. Thank you, sir. Yeah, now let me just before let me get introduced, and, and it's long. uh, <clears throat> uh brief I have here about his qualifications. I'll just go through some of them. And uh, uh, Dr. Jagar Tiagarajan is currently serves as the Minister for Finance and Human Resources Management in Tamil Nadu government. Dr. Rajan previously worked as international investment banker for many years in several trading market sales and market roles, management roles at Lehman Brothers, largely in New York, and, and Standard bank, chartered bank, mostly in Singapore. he last served as senior managing director financial markets serving the sales of several fixed income products globally prior to banking his career spanned academia agriculture consulting manufacturing and research his political and policy views are significantly shaped by his observations of both the diversity of cultures around the world and the universality of human values he is frequently invited to speak on wide range of topics such as science, economics, philosophy and politics, addressing diverse gatherings ranging from students, professionals, trade associations, industry leaders, and global in- investors. About this qualification, Dr. Rajan Btech Honours in Chemical Engineering from NIT to G, MS Operations Research and PhD Human Factors Engineering uh, from the University of New York, an MBA finance from the MIT Sloan School of Management to deliver the topic we have today is, for, for, for Dr. Rajan to speak, is an innovative approach to state finance. It's a subject to speak on which we have the best possible expert who is not, not only an expert, but an executor as, as a state finance minister. We are in the worst of times and the midst, as in the midst of the worst calamity in our recent history. We are in the best of times, as these are the times that demand the best of innovation. I've crystallized my role as anchor, drawing on from recent news. A neighboring country was developing so well, industry booming, especially tourism, an envy for us in Kerala. Now so quickly, everything has changed. Clearly showing the need for expertise and innovation in managing the nation's or state's finances. And that is the subject that we have for our discussion today. For, for Dr. Palnivel Jagarajan, who will now address us and deliver the, the, the validatory address of our 10th TICON. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Palnivel, and now over to you. Thank you, sir.
1: Uh, thank you for inviting me, for providing me this opportunity. Thank you for a very gracious introduction. Uh, I worry the build-up might have been a bit excessive, but anyway. Uh, I, I caught the last part of the previous session, so it's always interesting to see uh, how entrepreneurs and the networks develop. I was a very uh, small entrepreneur for a very brief period when I ran a consulting practice straight out of graduate school. After that, I've not had much to do with entrepreneurship. Rather, I've worked in large corporate organizations. So, I'm not sure I'm extremely qualified to uh, speak at such an event, but uh, I'm a bit aware and a bit associated with Thai uh, from its inception when I was a graduate student back in the US. And I lived in the US from 1987 to 2007. So, I'm uh, both amazed at how far you've come, and I convey my congratulations. Uh, to the entire organization for the many branches. And when I knew it, it was, I think, only based in the Bay Area. Uh, when I first knew it, back 25, 30 years ago, Maybe I'm dating myself, 35 years ago. But the topic, uh, you know, is such a wide topic. Uh, somebody graciously had uh, the foresight to send me a set of specific points they would like addressed. So I'll just limit my opening remarks to maybe two or three minutes, and then I will... Go into answering these specific points because I think uh, they may have been collected based on uh, indication of interest from the audience. You know, managing finances is not that different from managing any other large, uh, you know, system that has many moving parts. And as I've said multiple times, uh, the biggest weakness we have in government today, in politics today, is a lack of administrative or lack of execution skill. Now, some of that is a lack of intent also, but the greatest weakness is a lack of skill. Uh, there is no natural correlation between the assets and the uh, features that are required for somebody to be a successful uh, politician within a party ecosystem, thereby uh, have the opportunity to stand in a seat under a symbol. And then once elected, uh, the role of the uh, legislature and uh, of administration, there's very little overlap between what it took to get there and what it takes to do well once you're there. So the rare uh, luxury that a guy like me has because of legacy, because of circumstance, because of good luck and timing, is that I had the experience of uh, doing a lot of professional things in my life before I came. And yet, because of my legacy and because of some natural empathy with people and connect with people, that's my personality, I've been able to get elected multiple times, uh, you know, show that uh, the people sent me to do this work and with the credibility that it brings, apply the professionalism that many, many people have uh, that I ran into at least over my 30 year professional career. So the basic things, if they are done right, it may take a long time to get good outcomes. It may not be a big kind of whiz bang kind of outcome, but if you do the basic things right, Uh, you will get good outcomes sooner or later. And if you don't do that right, and if you do a few basic things fundamentally wrong, how much ever you try after to fix it and to do tinkering and makeup and second order and third order, your profound mistakes will come back to haunt you uh, no matter how long uh, you keep trying to fix them. And I don't want to get into too much detail. (laughs) Shoot me here because I don't want this to descend into uh, uh, politics. But uh, you know, managing an economy requires a very clear definition of the role of government and your intent. So as I've said in multiple places, the job of a government, at least from a financial and economic perspective, is relatively uh, clear and relatively uh, narrow in the sense, our job is first to raise revenues in a just and equitable way, to apply those revenues in a way that provides uh, basic public goods and services uh, and that improves the quality of life of people, to provide as level a playing field as possible for those who really can then come and be entrepreneurs and drive growth and create jobs and so forth, to provide a safety net for those who will fall behind. And those are essentially not fixed people in every society at some point in time, some people will go through the hardship that needs a compassionate hand uh, from the state, from the representation of society, which is an elected government. And uh, to provide the kinds of infrastructure that will facilitate or accelerate growth, roads, bridges, ports, airports, drinking water systems, hospitals, uh, you know, nutrition centers to make sure the population is well fed. and and children develop uh, well and so forth. That job is very simple to describe. It's very hard to do. Some of it because it's a zero-sum game. Some of it because most people don't understand the basics that well, uh, or are not particularly motivated by the greater good and have personal ambition that gets in the way of achieving these outcomes. But let me drill down into the seven or eight questions that I was sent here, or seven or eight topics. And then I'll, uh, I'll, I'm will i happy to take further questions because I think these are quite penetrating questions. So the first one is, if there was one big change that has to be done by any state to encourage entrepreneurship, what would you recommend? I would say the biggest thing that government do can do is create the right ecosystem of excellence and make it easy to do business and then get out of the way. Uh, there's a very interesting example of how Hong Kong kind of uh, exponentially raised its growth rates I think back in the 70s, and they tie it back to one uh, bureaucrat, one British bureaucrat when it was under UK rule. And he said, my job is just to make sure the government is in the way is not in the way of uh, entrepreneurs. And from our perspective, as I said earlier, uh, and I spoke yesterday actually at a CIA event in, in Chennai, and I said the same thing. Our job is to make it easy to do business, reduce rent-seeking, reduce complexity, reduce unnecessary reg- regulation. Don't compromise standards, don't compromise environmental, uh, you know, uh, benchmarks and, and, and limitations, but make it easy for people to do business and make an ecosystem that supports excellence. That is to provide a level playing field, to encourage professionalism, to encourage a work ethic, and to ensure that the government builds infrastructure, not just hard infrastructure like drinking water and roads and, and, uh, and sewer systems, but also soft infrastructure that can improve the quality of life, uh, like uh, you know, opera houses or music academies or, or social networking or bars or, or you know, whatever it is. Uh, very few uh, people do that consciously. Uh, at least most of the time, the government is smart enough to get out of the way and then allow it to uh, develop. In many cases, uh, you know, uh, more kind of base politics gets in the way from uh, trying to execute this. Yesterday I mentioned at the CIA that another role that government can play in a big way is to be the first buyer, first big buyer, particularly for innovators. We have such brilliant technology that we desperately need. Our ambition is to radically change the way government has worked in the last 10 years in Tamil Nadu. And whether it's drone technology, whether it's robotic technology, whether it's sensing technology, whether it's monitoring, Uh, whether it's energy technology, whether it's uh, management of energy, there's so much we need. And so much of that innovation is happening already in Tamil Nadu or in India. And we as the uh, early buyer, early adopter, can provide a win-win-win situation where we help the company kind of test and develop and, and, uh, you know, uh, fine tune its products. We get the immediate impact of of the governance outcomes that we want. And we help the company become a national or a world champion and then create jobs and create wealth for entrepreneurs and, and participants in the system. Uh, if I move to the next question, how does one increase state revenues in the context of the current GST regime? Uh, I was one of the first guys back in 2017, I think a friend of mine and I wrote an article in the Mint newspaper, saying that there is a downside to one nation, one tax. And that is that states give up a lot of their independence and we cited some examples and so forth. I don't want to go too far in the details, but I'll split this into two questions. The first question is, uh, have we lost a lot of levers? Yes, uh, GST takes away a lot of the state's independence and creates a laborious kind of uh, creaky, not particularly well-designed system. I've you know expounded on it in paper to the Union Finance Minister and my fellow members of the GST Council, so I don't want to go into detail yet. but the second part of the question is, independent of what the GST regime is, there is so much a state can do. Uh, I think the primary uh, area of improvement is just execution, monitoring, control. Our revenues as uh, the state's own revenues as a percentage of our GSDP have dropped from 10 and a half, 11% down to about 7%. Huge leakages in uh, petrol diesel tax, in uh, alcohol, in uh, GST broadly on all kinds of products. Uh, my, my fellow minister, who is also from Madurai, who is the Minister for Commercial Taxes and Registration, his favorite saying is that right now, only those who feel patriotic, patriotic enough to pay tax, pay tax. The amount of avoidance is so high. So there's a lot we can do. And I am 100% convinced that we can probably, uh, every year for the next five years, increase our state state's own tax revenues. By uh, you know twenty five percent a year, were we to fix the leaks and uh, and um, you know reduce the kind of malfeasance, uh, there's there's a, a anecdotal uh, evidence that for every bottle of alcohol sold through the official TASMAC shops, there's another bo- bottle sold that is not even being registered in the system. So that's how big the revenue potential. The third question, uh, state finances are constrained by revenues, unlike the union government, which is a sovereign currency showing its authority, uh, unless revenues enhance enhanced through the increase in finance commission awards, there's very little fiscal space. Yes and no. Uh, I was the, the, the principal kind of protagonist against uh, uh, the, the terms of reference at a technical level. There were many people who, who fought against it and who were in much higher positions than me. I was only an opposition MLA at that time. But at a technical level, I wrote a long note uh, on behalf of the DMK to the then chairman, uh, N.K. Singh and his team. And I said, you say your ambitions are transparency, equity, and efficiency. Transparency is inarguable. Let's not waste time. But if equity and efficiency are really your goals, then the last uh, 14 finance commissions in a row have had a pretty dismal outcome. You have kept on making it more inequitable in the Uh, dollar into dollar out or rupee into paisa out uh, statistic from state to state and you have kept on getting worse outcomes. The whole idea of transfers in a federal system is that you take from the better off give to the less well off and the level converges. You find educational outcomes, health outcomes, development outcomes converge. That's what happens in China. That's what happens in the United States. That's That's what happens in the EU. In India, we keep transferring more and more money away and the gap keeps diverging. So efficiency has been dismal. So that's a different issue. But uh, at a a, uh, different perspective, are there things we can do? Yes, there are a lot of things we can do. And I'll I'll segue that into the next question. What are the avenues for funding for states for uh, long-term infrastructure, or for that matter, any kind of funding? And I have been making the argument that there are at least four levels of funding. The first is, a macro or a sovereign level funding, in this case, a sub-national sovereign level like the state of Tamil Nadu, and were we to have our affairs in order, uh, certainly the constitution and the kind of uh, amendments have allowed us to issue our own bonds. Kerala has been an example, you know, the pluses and minuses. I get into that if the questions come. But there are things we can do, whether it's bonds, whether it's private equity, whether it's large investors, whether it's debt restructuring. There are things we can do uh, at the macro level, uh, at the government level, and the many funding agencies we have. Tamil Nadu is the number one destination for the World Bank, for IFC, for JICA, for most of these national and multinational lending agencies. We have a good track record of repaying our loans and the bankers go where the credit is good and where the outcomes are likely to be good. But then there's the next level, which is the global corporate level. And I think if you provide the right ecosystem and you have the right infrastructure and connectivity, then from the large corporates in, in manufacturing to the large corporates in services to uh, you know, transactions and trading and so forth, uh, you can uh, get a lot of investment and create a lot of jobs and they can do some of the investment that you otherwise would do. Many of the large corporates can set up their own power plants, uh, can set up their own infrastructure. And then there is the uh, kind of local champion you know, where we have clusters of excellence in Coimbatore let's say for precision machining, or in some parts, the Rupkur, et cetera, textiles. Uh, There used to be other such places in Tamil Nadu, some of them have fallen a bit behind. And so those are places where uh, we can facilitate uh, mid-level to mid-level kind of financing and technical relationships, particularly in a place like Tamil Nadu that has a very strong diaspora uh, in very good positions around the world. And then of course, there's really the highest job creating level, which is the MSME level, and there really is where India's biggest problem is because it's very hard to get credit down at the MSE level. You know, uh, total uh, credit, uh, we have two, three problems. Total credit as a percentage of the economy is very low. The percentage of credit that comes out of the markets compared to the banks is very low. And uh, the ability to get unsecured credit at anything other than a rated mid-tier uh, company is very poor. So that is really where the state and the union all have to step up. And I would say that COVID has taught us a bit because of the dire situation. People have had to really uh, think of ways in terms of guarantees and support schemes and uh, facilitation and so forth. I, I will still say there's a big gap between intent and outcome. Uh, uh, the state level banking committee, I chaired a couple of meetings and it was very clear that the bank managers at the branches at the regional offices in the districts and the cities, who are not quite aware of all the relaxations and the schemes that had been announced by the union government or by the Reserve Bank of India. So then of course, they could not translate that to the entrepreneurs and the, and the especially the micro entrepreneurs and the single borrowers. So we have stepped up a lot of our efforts, starting with the Reserve Bank of Chennai uh, office providing training to the Tamil Nadu uh, branch network. And then those guys in conjunction with the government's MSME department, running outreach programs and trying to uh, increase the, uh, the availment of these kinds of benefits. So that's, I think something we can do. Uh, number five, do you think uh, LRGs or panchayats, which are efficiently run and have budget surplus, should embark on independent financing after getting credit rating? I think everything starts with transparency. My biggest concern is, uh, of course, as, as federalists and as socialists, we are of the opinion that the local self-governance is the natural extension of self-respect and self-determination. So you move money and authority as close to the people as possible. Uh, in fact, I've said in many places, I admire the Kerala model uh, in terms of the devolution of power down to the local bodies, which is much better than at least any state that I know of in the, in the vicinity. Much more than Tamil Nadu. But the flip side of that is once you move that kind of uh, power and authority and funds down, unless you have a robust and transparent tracking system, a transparent accounting system, a transparent monitoring system, uh, then you are really creating the likelihood of such broad inefficiency. I won't even call it misuse, but such broad inefficiency that it will, will retard you for a long term. Uh, are there global examples of uh, lowest levels of government issuing debt? Absolutely. Uh, in, the, in the U.S., there's a huge municipal bond market uh, because it gets special treatment. It gets double tax relief, not just uh, federal uh, tax relief, but also state tax relief. And so, you know, the muni market is a humongous market of, of trillions of dollars. But the one thing we learned during the global financial crisis is that the muni bond market is not as safe water as people assumed. Uh, the financial management capability of uh, of local bodies, of cities, of, of uh, counties, of uh, you know, towns is not really that great. And the likelihood of malfeasance or uh, bad choices is, is quite high. So even if they're sitting on surpluses, the surpluses end up going to wrong places and wrong outcomes. And, uh, you know, all politicians have the proclivity to be fiscally loose. And so we found that uh, you know, during the financial crisis or post the financial crisis, we found many municipalities in dire straits, they had made such deep commitments for future pension payments and so forth that the model just wouldn't uh, support it. And it's pro-cyclical risk because uh, the greater the benefit when you walk away, the more likely people are going to walk away and not work and expect those greater benefits because there'll be some range of voluntary retirement. And that's when your revenues plunge because the economy is down and people can't pay their property taxes and so forth. Um, A couple of more uh, different questions. Uh, How is being highly qualified and coming into politics? uh, What are your feelings about that? I would say uh, two ways. I think the first is that uh, it's not clear at all, as I say, that uh, uh, qualifications or Uh, education uh, highly correlated to outcomes, not just in politics, in many fields. I remember when I joined the credit derivative desk at Lehman in uh, 1999 or somewhere thereabouts after I got my MBA. And uh, I went to my boss and I told him, I said, you know, I think I might be the dumbest guy on this floor because I have these four degrees with four different majors and all of this uh, education. And I think no, ninety-five percent of what I need to do to trade credit risk or create derivatives, I learned in tenth class, and I can use a spreadsheet to do that work. It's not clear to me. I mean, though it was a bit uh, facile to say that. Of course, at some other level, uh, you know, we have a saying in Tamil: it "says a The learned man is respected everywhere. And in that sense, I would say that as long as you come with the the, the compassion the the personality that can connect with other people and the humility to understand that when you go to a new field in a new you know kind of path, uh, you are at the bottom and you have to start learning. As long as that is baked in, I've actually been very, very pleasantly surprised that in my five years as an MLA, uh, as an opposition MLA, almost every single minister always gave me very good respect. And I spoke at the assembly if it was of some value uh, ruling party ministers, members, almost to the man congratulated me. They wrote me notes. They said, you know, we learn every time you speak. The whole house goes quiet. They never heckled me, not once in five years. Uh, they let me speak my piece. And uh, when I asked for things, if they, uh, you know, because I had the reputation, since I didn't pay for votes, that I was you know, very uh, advertising and signaling that I was clean. When I asked for things to be done, they got done. So I would say that politics is not as bad as it uh, is is made out to be, at least in South India, maybe in Kerala, Tamil Nadu places. I can certainly say in Tamil Nadu that even today, the kind of uh, respect for competence and the respect uh, for uh, values um, transcends both parties. As a minister, I I noticed one of the first-time MLAs uh, in in a reserve seat for scheduled tribes, he did such a fantastic job of explaining his problem with uh, the the conflict between environmentalists and his need to get his community uh, growth and jobs. I was so impressed that uh, you know, outside, I, I went out of the hall, asked him out, told him you did a fantastic job. Keep working like this. Let me know what we can do to help you. Uh, this is for society. It's beyond politics. So I would say that you know, if you have talent, it's recognized, and if you have good intentions, it's recognized, and you have compassion. That takes out a lot of other issues for you. Uh, What are the measures of success that would evaluate your ministerial stint? I would say as a former consultant, as a former banker trader, the first question is, is the place different when you leave than when you came? Different obviously for the better, but different. I mean, visibly in experience to people different. And I guess as a finance minister, you know, the basic level of difference is the balance sheet is in better situation, the deficits are in control, we are well within the FRBM Act, we're investing well, our growth rate is high. But beyond that, I think uh, my ambition as a relatively uniquely positioned person, you know, not many people of my background get to in, sit in the seat that I sit, uh, the Honorable Chief Minister in his wisdom. You have such important portfolios as not just finance, but human resource management, which in most states is held with the chief minister, as well as planning and development to a you know, second-time MLA, first-time minister. So my ambition really is that I should change processes. I should change systems. I should build better infrastructure. I should build a better administrative model. And beyond that, that I should change the culture of, of the workplace and that people that have learned from me or been mentored by me whether it's in politics, in the IT wing that I run, through the Dravidian Professional Forum that I uh, started at uh, my leaders, uh, uh, you know, um, advice, or indeed the many uh, IAS IPS officers I work with, that I should have left them as better executives and more compassionate people than when I uh, started. And finally, I'll say, uh, what is your message to the young entrepreneur who wants to start a business in TN? I say, please come as as quickly as you can. We are in dire need of help. We have ambitious uh, goals. Um, The Chief Minister has told our uh, Global Economic Advisory Council, we are not here for marginal change. We are here for radical reform because we cannot achieve our ambition any other way. It's not that we're here for change for change sake. Our ambition is to provide equitable growth with nobody left behind, no area left behind, and a much more just compassionate society with more jobs uh, continue to hold the unique position that Tamil Nadu has because of 100 years of the Dravidian movement going back to the Justice Party of very high per capita GDP plus very high uh, social development plus relatively high social equity and equality uh, and yes, health sir. indicators and access to doctors and all these other things and education gross enrollment ratio about 50% in higher education. So. You know, our ambition is to, is to perpetuate and accelerate that model. We need a lot of help. Uh, we want to be the first buyers and partners of innovators and entrepreneurs. The government can't do all of it alone. Uh, we are reducing the footprint of the scale of government by necessity. I think there's something like a 35% vacancy rate in the sanctioned posts of government employees right now by necessity. We can't afford to pay many more people So we have to increase their productivity, we have to increase their impact uh, per head, and we have to bring other people from outside, both systems, people, support uh, to achieve our end. So we are uh, open for business, we are looking for partners, we're looking for innovators Uh, in any way we can help. We have multiple, we have an MSME minister and a council to help that, we have an industries department and the guidance bureau, and then we have the planning, and development, my department, in which there is the State Planning Commission, which we have renamed after it was uh, named away after the Union Planning Commission went away. And uh, my friend, the economist, Professor Jaranjian, is the vice chairman of that. So we are trying to see uh, whether we can develop some more um, within our control, direct kind of uh, um, actions uh, to support entrepreneurs. So why don't I stop with that? I think I've spoken for at least about half an hour, and uh, and maybe I can take questions, or uh, if there are any. Yeah.
0: Thank you, Dr. Pallivel. We, of course, it's a subject on which it's, it's on which so much depends on, and um, I have a, I'd like to have ask a little little question before I, before do that. I missed out one point that uh, you went to school the same school as, that I did. And you, though you passed out in 1983, and yeah. I did maybe two, two decades before that, 66. For, for, for full
1: disclosure, we must confess that is the old boy network that brought me here. Neither <laughs> am I, and neither am I a natural speaker at your conference now would I have been invited. So uh, it's the old boy network, unfortunately or fortunately.
0: But anyway, I, I want to say that you have the best education possible. In India, in, in post graduation, in the United States, and in school. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks.
1: No, no, no
0: argument. See, the, the question is I want to, use, the last question that you, you, you answered is what is your message to young entrepreneurs who want to start business in Tamil Nadu? In Kerala, this is a matter of great discussion. Why aren't people in Kerala starting businesses here? There's a certain, though, in Thai, we we have a we have a little say an aspiration or a, a mission, an entrepreneur in every home. We believe in Thai that it's entrepreneurship which can make the big, big difference. So your advice, not for people wanting to start business in Tamil Nadu, but to start business in, in Kerala too, in different sectors. What do you think is the strength of the Kerala has in for entrepreneurs?
1: So I'm probably not the best qualified guy to answer that. But from a distance, I would say that it is a very uh, just and equitable society. It has one of the lowest levels of poverty. It has a very high level of education, a very high uh, level of penetration of uh, you know, health services and support systems. So it's always easier to, uh, to succeed in a place where you have a relatively low Gini coefficient and a relatively educated market. Uh, I would say, maybe I'm wrong, but those, I would say, are the strengths of Kerala, why one should start there.
0: In Kerala, we have, we, have, we take pride in that we have the, the highest ranking in human development index. Probably that is the reason why industries, what, both modern industries such as tourism, has become so successful in Kerala. Yet, in other sectors such as manufacturing, we envy Tamil Nadu where every, all the investment flows there, perhaps, perhaps to some reason, is the political color of the state, the perception of the political color
1: of the state. Yeah, I, let me just say two things. I forgot to mention that one of the things that Tamil Nadu can and should do, we are enormously blessed with uh, mineral wealth. We are one of the top eight or nine states in the country. And if you look at uh, our revenues from the mineral sector, they have been appalling, about 1,000 crores. And the amount of uh, rent uh, sought is so little compared to the benefits uh, uh, unfairly taken by the big uh, mining barons.
0: So it's the one area
1: where I think, you know, the state loses 100, some official takes two and some politician takes three and the 95 goes to uh, the, the owner of the system. I mean, the, the the mines and whatever. So this is an area where we have to improve a lot and Tamil Nadu has that advantage also relative to Kerala. I'm saying, uh, in terms of the scale of the place, uh, the connectivity, the fact that the Singapore undersea cable comes through uh, Chennai, that we have a lot more land and, uh, you know, uh, multiple airports, uh, multiple ports and so forth. So some of that is geographical and scale, just this size. But I want to point out one thing by coincidence, I was just going through the agenda here and one of my new acquaintances, I won't go so far as call him a friend is uh, Harsh Mariwala of Mariko. Uh, we had the uh, occasion to talk two or three times about something of importance to the state of Tamil Nadu and his company. And he was kind enough to send me his book, uh, Harsh Realities. I haven't finished reading all of it, but uh, there he talks about how against all advice, he went and set up uh, a coconut oil refining uh, or a manufacturing plant in Kerala. And he says that if you do certain things right, uh, the fear that somehow you have an intransigent labor market uh, is, is overcome and you actually have the benefits of high education, uh, high social cohesion, relatively good governance, etc. So there's a classic example for you. I noticed that he spoke earlier today um, at, at, the, at the conference.
0: We have some questions which have come in. The first is from Mr. Benny Kurtum Kalangara. His question, we understand that you are Minister for Human Resource Management. What unique strategic initiatives you have taken or planned the HR management and development?
1: My personal experience, I, you know, all my professional career. Of course, I did all these other things in terms of manufacturing, agriculture, research, and all that. But my personal opinion, I mean, experience is mostly in uh, the two sectors where there's a huge uh, impact of human resources, which is consulting and uh, innocent banking. And so I am very much of the opinion that even more important than money is people and having the right people, with the right training and the right attitude and the right kind of work ethic. So we have taken a fundamental relook at the entire human resources model of the state. As I said, we have something like 35% vacancy. Uh, I, I sometimes get in trouble because I say some things and then it drives up people. So i will be very uh, diplomatic and circumspect, but I will ask some profound questions that maybe will indicate uh, where we're going. If a 35% vacancy, we are already struggling to balance what percentage of our revenues goes to uh, salaries and pensions, what would happen were we to go 100% occupancy, not doable? If that is the case, and we have such a large uh, vacancy of, I don't know, 300 and something thousand vacancies, Our intake funnel, which is the Tamil Nadu Public Service Commission, and after our government came, we're standardizing the intake funnel, so we don't allow local bodies or public sector enterprises that were recruiting directly and being accused of all kinds of other negative outcomes. We have forced everybody into the same funnel, Tamil Nadu Public Service Commission. If you're going to do that, then Tamil Nadu Public Service Commission, in the best five-year period in its history, was able to bring in about 10,000 people a year. That's not enough. Because the way the Tamil Nadu Public Service Commission works, you have 80 or 90 different exams for 80 or 90 different types of jobs, and then you have group one and group two and group three, and that doesn't work, group, three, group four and so forth. So fundamentally, we have to rethink, what types of uh, people do we want to recruit? What is the nature of this test? Are we testing really whether they know botany and whether they know chemistry still? I mean, like that was already done. We have 52% of our uh, uh, plus two graduates go and enroll in degree colleges right now. So uh, there's a comprehensive set of reforms. I don't want to get ahead of myself because it will lead to a lot of uh, unnecessary debate. But from fundamental questions like what should be the nature of the entry exam? Is it an aptitude test and a kind of uh, you know, uh, assessment of likely future productivity? Or is it a competence test? If it's a competence test, why, then why did they have to get degrees as qualifying uh, this thing? For example, let's say you make it an aptitude test. One of the great luxuries you have, you can make it an uh, automated test. You have it a computerized test. If you have it as a computerized test, you get 100 benefits that arise from that. You don't have uh, subjectiveness. You don't have likelihood of malfeasance. You don't have you know, insider dealing. Uh, you can put through 5x or 10x the throughput. You can adjust because it's computerized. You can randomize the questions. And still give the same sort of questions in a million different orders uh, to different people sitting in the same hall and reduce the likelihood of cheating. So, you know, the, the, the approach itself is fundamentally wrong. Then we have a different problem. What is the definition of merit? We have some long standing cases with the, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a social justice policy on reservation, started back in 1921, incidentally, with the Justice Party and Madras presidency. Now there's all these questions about, should that only apply at the date of input? What, what about every stage of promotion? And if our goal is that at every stage of the government, the layer should look like society. So you know, X percent of this, Y percent of that, A percent of that, B percent of that, uh, women, uh, communities, whatever, then all, uh, across chief engineers also, it must look the same way. Across uh, superintending engineers also, it must look the same way, not just all the uh, assistant engineers. And this has run into a lot of legal problems, because believe it or not, the definition in the Supreme Court case that we are now fighting says, merit is what, what mark you got in the TNPSC 30 years ago. Surely that is not the definition of merit. We have a 30-year service record of these individuals. Surely there are other definitions of merit than what mark you got in one exam one day 30 years ago, and you know that cannot be your brand for life. It's as bad as a kind of caste hierarchy. So. There are profound changes that are needed in human resource management. And, you know, government human resource management is like way, way, way uh, in the dark ages compared to what we need to do and what we know as best practices in those businesses where the only differentiating factor between any two firms, any of the top banks or any of the top consulting houses, it's only the people and the culture that differentiates one from the other. Everybody has money. Everybody has a brand. Everybody has big buildings. Everybody has infrastructure. What separates, uh, you know, today's winner from today's not winner is the people and the culture. And so that's the kind of approach we're taking. We have already done uh, quite a lot of changes. We've announced some more. And there are many, many more to come. Let me just leave it at that. I
0: know we have reached the end of our time. But there's one question which is coming with your permission. I'll we'll permit that question also. I'll read that out. So, yes, sorry. One, I was supposed to come seven
1: ten to eight, but I started a bit late. So I can stay a few minutes. I don't need. I mean, I'm sure that other people have better
0: things to do. But if you say I stay late, then I'm okay to do it. So, oh, you to oh, thank you very much yes, for that. Yes, yes, yes. We've got two. So we've got some questions. One question is from Damodar Avenue. What is your take on the government setting out, getting out of areas in which it should not be in? example, public transport, which is being monopolized in Kerala, and liquor trade, in which Kerala government is the sole dispenser? Yeah,
1: I mean, these are complicated questions, right? I think uh, no society anywhere in the world is liquor, not a regulated substance. No society anywhere in the world is liquor, not a heavily syntaxed substance, uh, because that's what economic theory says, that you must, you know, because these are things that could potentially have health consequences if abused. And therefore, it's appropriate that you tax at a relatively high level for an indulgent good. You don't tax liquor the same as you tax food, for example, you tax it much higher. So I think you know uh, the broad contours of how governments handle uh, certain things are universal around the world. When it comes to things like transport or electricity milk cooperatives and so forth. There are multiple approaches. Uh, what, I've, what I've come to understand and what I say all the time is I am not as vexed about whether you say it should be private or public or whether your theory and my theory or your philosophy and my philosophy diverge a lot. I am much more uh, concerned about the outcomes. If you can produce the right outcome, meaning people get it at a reasonable cost with relatively little you know leakage and rent seeking, and with equity that uh, you know people who need to get it cheaper get it cheaper, people who can pay more pay more, I'm not really that you know axed or concerned which model you started with. I think the outcomes uh, validate your approach if you If you can get a superior outcome in a philosophy that's different than mine, I defer to your philosophy for that particular segment in that particular format. So the differences in, in philosophy, in approach in policy get a lot of uh, kind of uh, airtime and a lot of politicking happens on it. Very little goes to saying, what are the outcomes? And I'm anytime there's a good outcome, who am I to argue against the approach? Unless you tell me that it's a good outcome for some and a bad outcome for others, then I argue.
0: Since you've given us some more time, one more question I will take, which is from, Anandamani, the The question is, which achievement of yours made you so excited and happy after taking over as the minister? Can you please mention?
1: Well, you know, there were some things that I had uh, uh, been thinking about before I came to to government. Uh, I suspected there were lots of government funds that were uh, listed as spent that had not been spent. I suspected that there were a lot of problems with the way data was, uh, lack of data was used to abuse uh, things like loan waivers and and the uh, benefit systems and so forth. So I would say, just to bring it down to one thing, I would say because we have insisted on data driven governance or data centric governance, we have found such great improvement in such little time. You know, in the in the loan waivers and so forth because we. Manually forced the computerization of our records that should otherwise have been in real time available on the tap of a button over three or four months. We saved ourselves so much money finding so much fraud. And you know, it's not even about the money. The money is the money. And we found a lot of parked funds, as I mentioned. We've already reclaimed about 2000 crores. I've said there's many multiples of that still left. I think it's the fact that, A, we can make outcomes match our words if we have better systems, better data, better uh, transparency, and, and line of sight. And be uh, as much as it worries me if uh, eligible beneficiary or somebody in need does not get a government benefit or a, or a support, uh, you know, uh, scheme. It bothers me. Much more when people abuse the system systemically and take out 10x, 50x, 100x. 100 I I don't have a problem with a few people getting it when they don't deserve it individually by error or for one person. You know, the whole uh, you know, no innocent person should be punished, even if a few guilty are let go. That principle applies here as well. If a few unqualified, undeserving beneficiaries get it individually, life's like that. We should err on the side of ensuring nobody gets left out. But when I see the systemic abuse that's been happening, uh, let me put it another way. In my view, if the government spends a rupee, it's not clear to me even 50 paise achieves the intent that the government started with. That's a pretty desperate situation. Uh, we're changing that rapidly. And that makes me very happy.
0: That, uh, before I close, is one observation or the news we read that Tamil Nadu has the who's who of resources in the world as, your, as the advice becomes. I'm sure that, your, that must have been your anti-world. work. is it that they bring, they, what they bring to the table there?
1: No, I mean, some of them I knew from before. Some of them were one degree away. But the luxury of, uh, of being an MIT alum, uh, I think, ease the connection. But the Chief Minister was very clear. He, he, you know, he was the one who kept telling me, remember, we had this conversation when we were in opposition, now we're in government, execute, 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 get, get, get me this team. And there were some names that he suggested and some other names that I suggested. And you know, sometimes he said, stick with mine. Sometimes he said, I, I defer to yours. But our ambition was to get people with such different perspectives. Of course, we want professionals. Of course, we want visionaries. Of course, we want proven people. We want to benefit from the talent and expertise of the best the world has to offer. But... My personal greatest focus was that I wanted to have five different points of view. Uh, there was no upside in getting five people who had a similar point of view just because they had good CVs or good professional standing. So, you know, uh, I spent very little time with people like Raghu. The minute I reached him, he said, absolutely, anytime I'm ready. Or uh, well, Arvind, for that matter. I didn't know that Mr. Narayan existed, to tell you the truth, that lived overseas for so long. So it took a little bit of concern uh, convincing and a little bit of discussion, but uh, happily he lives a few hundred meters away from my house, so we got to meet fairly often. Uh, I had never met uh, Jean Ray, and he was reluctant. And uh, he said, "Listen, all I know is Chattisgarh I don't know anything about Tamil Nadu. I'm not sure I can add value." And I said, "Well, we know Tamil Nadu, and we want people who know things we don't know." So. Uh, he reluctantly, after multiple discussions, agreed to come on and see if he could add value for a year. Yeah. Uh, and I think Esther was uh, was probably the most uh, reluctant because she, she had had experience serving on other councils in, in big places like the White House Council and not really been able to uh, feel the satisfaction of having impact. So she's the one who finally suggested, can we have an ad hoc model where there's not a report at the end, where it's sometimes show motor, sometimes... Uh, you know, you ask us, sometimes we tell you. And we have this informal kind of relationship where we just connect with each other as and when uh, either some issue comes up in our minds or, uh, you know, we have a chance to set some time aside. And I like that model so much that I said, you know, whatever you wrote, we'll use that as a template for everybody. Because most people, they, when, they, when they agreed, they didn't know who the other members of the panel were. And they didn't ask. That was the most important thing. They did it out of, a genuine desire to contribute and have an impact. So nobody asked who else am I going to be on the panel with. And so I think, uh, you know, we took the best ideas from everybody, even to establish the modalities of the panel. Uh, And it has been a home run for us. Uh, I go out of my way every time I have a press conference, every time we do something big uh, to give credit to where the idea came from, Uh, Every meeting we've had with them, uh, you know, we've had two formal meetings with the entire uh, panel with the chief minister, and I've probably had, I don't know, 10 or 15 interactions, uh, one-on-one with the members over voice conference, I mean, a video conference or a telephone call or an in-person meeting. And every single one of them has been uh, value-added, from COVID uh, uh, response to uh, preparing for a potential third wave to the MSME support programs and the, the depth that which we're doing in Tamil Nadu and uh, now providing state credit guarantees and stuff to the uh, remedial education program to bring kids back to school, which uh, really was driven by uh, Raghu, uh, believe it or not, Reserve Bank. Governor was the one who kept, for, uh, former Reserve Bank governor was, uh, kept asking, what are you doing? Two years away from school is a huge loss. How are you gonna make sure these people come back and uh, the students who otherwise are at risk of becoming permanent dropouts or child labor. And people like Esther and John who who told us, you must expand and start giving uh, these widow benefits and old age benefits to as many people as possible. Start with a model that you give and then ask people to self exclude rather than put these bars for entry that make it so hard that many, many, many many people don't. And Esther had the great luxury that she had been uh, already since 2016 or 17 Part of the uh, Jamal lab at, uh, at MIT, they had a MOU with the government of Tamil Nadu. So they knew a little bit about, uh, uh, quite a little bit about the, the ground realities from their research. So that informs their views a lot as well. So, uh, you know, uh, could we benefit a lot more from them? Probably, yes. Uh, if if we don't do, that's probably, I'm the bottleneck. I don't find uh, enough time or enough Space to take every input they have and every opportunity I could get, but uh, but it has been a huge impact so far on our uh, on our thinking and therefore on our policy and execution.
0: And finally, let me just since you've given us permission to exceed time by a few more minutes, and an area which is familiar to me, which is which is travel and tourism. Go, I don't know whether you take holidays, but Gautam country is your neighbor but my question is different is what role does tourism play in the in in, in the economy of tamil nadu
1: actually quite 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 big uh, i mean uh, yeah, uh, the good news is quite big uh, historically i mean because of the scale because our temples are so well preserved and they are big draws particularly for foreign tourists uh, also we have so many religious uh, sites uh, you know that are attractive to hindus across tamil, uh, across india Uh, And because we have such a diversity from a huge coastline to, uh, you know, the mountain ranges to a bit like Kerala, but many more, let's just say, because of size, nothing else. Um, But one thing that has happened in the last two, three years is that the lack of uh, kind of um, proper planning, lack of a strategic vision, therefore lack of investment in infrastructure and a lack of uh, uh, kind of, tracking right i mean we uh, uh, i got some statistic the other day when we were doing the madurai city master plan that uh, foreign tourism to the city of madurai had fallen by about 40% and had been falling for three or four years before covid a uh, shock to me so i think uh, the the current situation yes tourism is a, a noticeable contributor to our economy but it is way way beyond its uh, behind its potential so uh, I have been a bit, uh, uh, you know, uh, both supportive as well as uh, kind of uh, with high expectations. Uh, for example, about um, I don't know, a week ago, our tourism minister plus uh, secretary plus the commissioner um, went to Mexico to attend the balloon festival and uh, kind of learn some of the logistics and see. What are the ancillary things that uh, they could pick up and see whether we could start a balloon festival um, near the Western Ghats uh, in some of the plains over there? So we are investing in it. We're we I think there's a master plan development for uh, the broader scheme. Chief Minister's announced something. I announced some some components of that during my budget speech. Um, I think two or three years from now our whole tourist ecosystem will look significantly different than it it does now, mostly because it will be a planned approach, uh, uh, a strategy then put into execution rather than random outcomes, you know, catch as catch can by individual entrepreneurs with very little government kind of uh, support or infrastructure.
0: Thank you. And I think that brings us to the conclusion of our session with you. Thank you very much for, for, I think, the old boy network work and brought you here, and to uh, tie this. This concludes our tenth well uh, tycon. And uh, regulations, yeah. And, and of course, this, these are these are the troubling times, and I believe that in in the new normal that is now going to prevail, we need to have innovation and knowledge and perseverance to survive. With this, I think I'll I'll say that we'll be. Hey, thank you for having us.